Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for attending the Soccer Subs Podcast, the number one podcast covering soccer in New York City and all over the world. Let's give it up for Ronnie. Let's give it up for Christian. And let's give it up for you, the Soccer Subs Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, the show starts in five, four, three, two, one. Let's rock. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Soccer Subs Podcast, Episode 9. My name is Ronnie. I'm your host. I'm joined here by my two Soccer Subs co-hosts, the usual suspects, Christian Hugh. Fellas, how you guys doing? Episode 9. Quick little intro round. Number 9 as the number of Christian Bieri. I'm so happy to be here with you. The Soccer Subs Podcast. Once again, we have a lot to talk about, uh, but I'm just really happy to be here with you guys. <laughs> Something like that, you know. Maybe mine is the R rolling and the number 9 analogies, but... I'm happy to be here. All, All right. right, guys, we got a big show coming up for you today. We have a big guest joining the show later on today. His name is Glenn Davis, the one and only. He's a former player for the Houston Dynamo. He's also the host for Soccer Matters, the podcast. Uh, we're really excited to have him later on in the show with us. And we also have a special guest joining the show today. His name is Marv, one of my boys, really good friend of mine. Really excited to have him on. Marv, how you doing, man? Hey, what's up, Soccer Sub fans? How's it going? Marvin here from Brooklyn, just uh, enjoying the enjoying Join the show, listening to these guys talk soccer and uh, recap the whole week for you, filled with emotions and uh, lots of goals. Absolutely, I'm from Brooklyn. I'm a big Barcelona fan. Yeah, baby. Yes, yes, Christian. Yeah, big Barcelona fan, and we're here representing. Great to have you on the show with us, man. Really excited to have you on with us. Another Barca fan, so the field is level. Two Real Madrid fans, two Barca fans. So let's get it. Yeah, I mean, Ronnie always tries to bring more Real Madrid fans to the show. But I, I like cut it off this time. So you know. yeah, listen though the the soccer subs package does not come with the Advil necessary to get rid of your headache after talking to us for forty five minutes. So <laughs> we can't guarantee you anything. But all right, guys, there's been a lot of soccer news as of the past two weeks. First things first, Bartomeu is out for FC Barcelona. As Hugh nicely quoted, he technically resigned, but Bartomeu is no longer with FC Barcelona. We're also talking the New York Derby, NYCFC versus the Red Bulls. NYCFC took that game five to two we will definitely get into that shortly we're also talking barcelona versus juventus we definitely got to get into that game no ronaldo but all right guys let's definitely get into the first topic we're talking the new york derby new york took that game five to two hugh i will start it off with you man what do you think of uh, that game i like you said that new york took that game not new jersey um <laughs> but in all seriousness i mean look watching that game i was like Hmm. This is like both why I like watching NYCFC and why I hate watching NYCFC because I spent the entire week pouring through like hundreds of hundreds of minutes of Champions League games. And then I watched like NYCFC play the Red Bulls and I watched like some awful, awful defensive errors from the Red Bulls, some like lackluster marking. And I'm like, man, is this Messi versus Ferencvaros or is this like, you know, am I watching the MLS? And it was it was really bad by the rebels like really bad like I, I i thought i thought yearwood would make a difference there Ooh, nope we're not seeing anything different from that side of the river and the only thing the only thing we're seeing is tati castellanos is class he is class tenor home class rain cl- i mean come on like i i could go through the whole i could go through the whole squad but like let's be honest we're just better we're just better that's it 
better. <laughs> Marv, let me know what you think. Did you catch a catch that game in YCFC Red Bulls? Oh yes, the rivalry. The rivalry was intense. I do want to point Derby. out that. Uh, yeah, the New York Derby. The main man in New York City FC uh, and how they were able to pull the, the win was Maxi Morales and Castellanos. Their association is is exceptional. They, they know how to read each other's movement with and without the ball. They have a great triangulation with other teammates and they always initiate the, the advancement of the team lines, especially going from the midfield into the forward line. Valentin Castellanos, uh, that was one of the hat-tricks that New York City FC has that's had in the, in, in the seasons, in the regular seasons in MLS. Uh, it has been the second hat trick in the New York Rep- uh, against the New York Rebels, mm-hmm. and the last the last hat trick that they uh, they accomplished against the New York Rebels was a bit BS. It has that hasn't it hasn't been a long time coming, but uh, they got it. They got the win. I'm just gonna say Alexander Ring, Jesus Medina, and Maxi Morales in the middle are so so yep. class. I mean, like that was such yeah. a that was such a good pairing. They know how to read each other. Uh oh. All right, let's hear the Red Bulls fans' opinion. <laughs> Christian, Come you're on. up next. Oh man, I wish I had my four other Red Bull fans who well pretty much represent the whole club. So. Yeah, four other Red Bull fans that exist. <laughs> Look, I I'm always honest, and I actually mentioned this in the podcast uh, episode earlier. Uh, the other episodes, of course. Uh, you know, I, I don't expect much from New York Red Bulls because they're going into some different transition that I still don't know how it's going to end up in the playoffs. But about the game, I mean, you saw a New York City team who was uh, compact, who was very well organized defensively. And in the attack, uh, I think, Marv, you mentioned it, Hugh, you mentioned it. One of the things is the South American influence right there with Jesus Medina and Castellanos. And, of course, Maxi Morales, who's just a phenomenal being able to create plays for, these, uh, for this team. You know, there's a reason why Gremio de Porto Alegre is looking after Jesus, Jesus Medina after the next season. You know, that's the type of style that has helped New York City FC in these last couple of games elevate their game. And of course, I mean, I was so surprised to see a Rebels team just just being so bad defensively, man. I mean, Pendant uh, on one side and Kyle Duncan on the other one. You know, they they have this uh, high press game where, you know, you put in so much, you're risking so much in the game. But when you have to come back to defend, you're left out with uh, Tim Parker and Aaron Long trying to uh, cover enough space. And it's not, it's not enough. So, you know, tactically, you know, we're still, he's not the, the person who's in charge right now. It's not going to be the coach next season. And he's trying to do his best to put out the fire. To, we scored two goals by accident. Let me tell you this. They were bouncing the balls. Brian White got the, the bounce ball from Cassidy's. I don't know how is that assist, but they gave it an assist. And then, you know, technically, New Rebels just, you know, you don't know what to expect for them. Hot or cold. I don't know if it's because it's the 2020 season. But New York City is definitely the best team. I just got to say this. Going forward, there's going to need to be some changes. I'm not sure if Kyle Duncan or, or Pendant are the guys supposed to be covering the fullbacks for my team but I really hope the Rebels make some changes because I really do want to succeed but again it's not enough, and I need to see more of them. You guys could use Anton Centerholm and, and Matarita. <laughs> yes, of course, because they have been playing so well on under uh, uh, Ronnie Delia. And, and I, I think that the fact is that New York City as a team is just better. 
absolutely better. And, and I'm not afraid to say this, you know, just uh, hopefully this gets into the locker room of the New York Rebels. But guys, you guys got to play a little bit more with passion. You got to shoot the ball more. And, you know, technically speaking, you know, we can high pressure 90 minutes. We yeah. can't do that. Although it's rocky road for us NYCFC fans. We got Orlando City next, which uh, that's dangerous, dangerous. I don't even want to. I don't even want to think about that game, much less do analysis <laughs> on it for the podcast. But that day will come. So Two weeks. I think it's next episode, right? Yeah. <laughs> Ronnie, sorry. I mean, I went in on my Rebels. <laughs> oh, by the way, Caden Clark, I know you're a talented star who's probably going to play in Europe next year. On that fourth goal, I need you to cover ground. You can't be looking at the other players and think that's defending. Okay, because defending is making sure you're stepping up and pressuring the guy before he makes that cross that started the goal. So please, Caden Clark, you are a superstar in the making. But meanwhile, you need to defend. All right. Not everybody gets the same privilege as Messi does. And even mm. then, I'm still mad at him. Caden Clark needs to go have a kickabout with the NYCFC U6s <laughs> to, to take a, a leaf out of Christian's book. I'll so. show you how to defend. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. And for me, I definitely, I enjoyed the game, obviously. Uh, NYCFC putting five goals in, into the Red Bulls. I mean, like Christian and, and Marv said, I really do think that NYCFC is getting their groove in with uh, the new coach, Ronnie Delia. Big congrats to uh, Tati Castellanos on a hat trick. I mean, we don't really see too many hat tricks in the MLS, so that one was special. I think NYCFC really just started putting the pressure right away as soon as the game started the first goal came in on the 12th minute i mean nycfc it's kind of the, their style they kind of like to pressure and like to score early usually if they score early try to take control of the game i'm not saying it always happens but i feel like that's their kind of style i did get nervous when the red bulls did take the lead 2-1 in the 37th minute but i feel like nycfc just showed up in the second half i think my favorite part of the game was the golazo by alex ring the captain the 50th yep. minute like right outside the box. Like yeah, man, to put him up 3-2. And after that, man, I don't know if that just lowered the confidence of the Red Bulls or I don't know. After that, it, it doesn't even feel like a game anymore. But I mean, kudos to NYCFC. That was a game. And like you said, we do have Orlando City coming up for the playoffs. That was going to be rough. Christian, you guys got the Columbus crew uh, coming up for you guys. So <laughs> uh, see, you, see you 2021. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you guys in episode 10 for that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but all right, guys, we're next topic coming up is we're talking Bartomeo being out for FC Barcelona, like our boy Hugh just said, he technically resigned. This one's big for a lot of the Barcelona fans, you know, I know this is a long time coming. I know a lot of Barca fans were not happy with him. I think this really all goes back to the Neymar days. Hugh, I'll let you go first on this one. Okay, well, as you just as you just quoted me, he did technically resign. But before I make my statement, I need to bring up another quote I've 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 said. And I think if you go back a couple of episodes, I called him a clown. I said Bartomeu is a clown and he's running Barcelona into the ground. Let me rephrase. I think Bartomeu was a clown, but a clown who got too much pinned on him. I think he's a scapegoat for some of the other major problems at Barcelona. I think, look, He's done some stuff wrong. The Neymar thing, maybe he mishandled it. But at the end of the day with the Neymar thing, he got money, right? He got money and then he spent the money. He bought Arthur and he developed youth, right? When we're talking about Bartomeu, everything he's done wrong gets highlighted because of, of Barcelona's problems recently in the Champions League and La Liga. But let's look at like what he's actually done. He's won the Champions League once. He's won the league three or four times. He's won a bunch of Copa del Rey. He's won a bunch of like Supercopas. He's won good stuff in Spain and in Europe. He's not been a terrible president. Yes, maybe he's mismanaged some things. But at the end of the day, a lot of the 
problem at Barcelona owes to the players, right? It doesn't all come from the top. And that's where some of the problem for me trickles down to people like Piquet, who really should sort of take charge of a club, especially when they're losing and when they're not doing well in tournaments. And they should take charge and do something. And Piquet was like, oh, well, I'll resign if youth is like needing to come on along the way. And then signs a new contract with for more money from the club, right? Like that's not responsibility. That's like all talk and no game. And you see that from a lot of sort of the the elite Barcelona players. You see that from Jordi Alba. You see that from Piquet. You saw from Arturo Vidal before he left. You saw older players sort of thinking that it was their game. Meanwhile, players like Pedri, players like Trincao, players like Ansu Fati were sort of being washed over by the fact that these like older players sort of had the high ground. And I think, yes, Bartomeu could have done some things better. Maybe he shouldn't have sold Artur. But if you look at some of the players he sold, who have people have been like, this was really good youth talent that he wasted. Let's be honest. They haven't gone anywhere. Paco Alcarcer in, in Dortmund, he had like six good months. Where is he now? Cucarella at Getafe? He's fine, but he's not going places like he was when he was at Barcelona. At the end of the day, Bartomeu made some hard decisions. He made some big decisions. He made some decisions that may have looked wrong in the moment. But I think right now, he's the scapegoat for more problems that he's actually created. But I don't know. I'm not the Barca Oof. fan. The man of the hour, our boy Marv, who's a true Barcelona fan. Uh, we'll let you go in on this one. Um, yeah, I do agree with uh, Hugh. Uh, it, he seems like a scapegoat, but at the same time, he also mismanaged and misstrategized the future of the club. I mean, I don't think he was really looking out for the club in, in all of its aspects. I think it was pushing for like a, a more globalized exposure of, exposure of the club marketing wise to you know to reach a bigger audience and that also kind of like let for for him to you know like to lose sight of what was really at stake the identity of the club the identity of the players of the game of what we have you know tried to always push for try to always have control of of the game and of the tempo of, of how we should be or how Barcelona should be playing Yes, Xavi, Iniesta, and Messi were a big part of that main vertebrate for the team. But at the same time, like if you are taking important players away from the team, such as Neymar and Suarez, you're also going to debilitate. You're also going to like weaken the chemistry of of the whole entire team. Because sure, Messi is the the main piece for this puzzle. But I feel like you also have to find a way to make him feel more comfortable in the pitch if he didn't have his comrades around if he had no one to associate with in the pitch he was going to lose sight of what he was really looking for because it's all them are new players Ansu Fati, uh, Trincao, Osman Dembele who has little to little time playing injuries associate, associated with injuries and mismanagement of his of his personal time but I feel like Bartomeu should have strategized going into the future to what players should be more valuable to the team and to the main key player who is Messi. It should not all fall into Messi's uh, hand to resolve like what's the future going to be like, but at least help him out to find uh, leadership in among the players. Bartomeu, he, he didn't strategize to sign prospective players with uh, Abidal being his technical uh, secretary. He also blew it off like when, you know, Messi bashed him in public. And, and obviously, we all saw that when he, public, uh, he publicized his uh, hit dislike of, of handing out the club. And, and from that point on, like, he just thought that 
he was not going to push to something better or he, he was not going to achieve anything greater than just leaving the club and having Messi kind of like decide what's going to be best for the club. Uh, and, you know, at one point, I think Messi should leave. I feel like Messi should find his own thought of what should be the next step for him. I mean, both of you guys mentioned great things, specifically about the philosophy. I think Dani Alves had mentioned it recently, where Barcelona has gone into prostitution, being able to spend so much money and, and not get anything in return. I mean, you have players like, I mean, Philippe Coutinho, Griezmann, Dembélé, they're, they're all great players, but most of it is being said that they don't fit the philosophy of the team. And Hugh, I know you mentioned some some players who might not have been successful, but you still got Traore from Wolverhampton, who's doing great. Uh, Hector Bellerin, who's doing uh, good in Arsenal. And of course, don't forget Thiago Alcantara, the Champions League winner, and who's doing, who did great in Liverpool. I mean, yeah, great yeah. in Liverpool. And now he's... They all got sold before Bartomeu took office. All, all of those guys got sold yeah, before yeah. took office. Fair, fair enough. But I think it's, it's the philosophy. What I'm trying to say mm -hmm. is getting back into the philosophy. All right? They lose track of the talent pool that they have at La Masia. And I think, you know... You know, he's too focused. He's too focused on, 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 you know, one of the things he was proud of is like, oh, I spent $1 billion dollars on players. What have you gotten in return? The last thing, like, you're right. He has won a Champions League on his first year and he won a couple of La Liga titles. But, you know, the philosophy, I think most of the players too, uh, you know, players in La Masia, they go in when they're nine years old and they learn a system to play. And I think that's what you were saying, Marvin, when Messi's, you know coming to play and maybe those players don't don't have that same style and that could be a problem because then you couldn't score more goals and couldn't be more successful but more than anything i think it's like you lose the grit you know you lose players like uh puyol who who was uh, a commander back chief in, in in the defensive line and obviously xavi niesta who seem irreplaceable mm -hmm. but you know I, i i more than anything i think it's the relationship between the player and the executive board has just been uh, a disaster. It, speaking from the fact that they wanted to have a 70% cut of the salaries, which they yeah. did, they got it. And, and, and you know, now they're getting off, uh, they're going to cut off 30% of their salaries and the players weren't even in the negotiation. So it feels like they're doing anything that they want. And yeah. one last thing, I mean, this is not, uh, listen, I'm not just saying things. You can check this on ESPN. You can check on everywhere. This, you know, there's been rumors that Bartomeu had hired a company to actually promote a negative uh, connotation on its players. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and since it's been since 2017. So uh, the problem is, you know, it starts from the head top. And Barcelona is not the only one going through these type of situations. You have play, teams like Manchester United going through the same thing. But obviously, I'm not. What, I'm not going to get into that yet. But <laughs> but the main the main thing is that in a way you gotta use a team like Bayern Munich as a model who keeps the German player system, the talent system, up to beat. You know, making sure they're 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 bringing the best. But also, you know, when you make purchases. You got to make purchases. You got to make sure that player is in the same type of mentality that your culture, that your team is trying to build. And I just simply think Bartomeu just wasn't able to cope with that. If I may, just really quickly before we move or before Ronnie, you, you sort of give your opinion on this. I think two major things 
that you guys that, that Marvin and you Christian said the the philosophy and like the misrepresentation of it obviously when I think of Barcelona I think of one quote Mesquion club right and you think Marv you talked about how Bartomeu tried to make it a, a global organization I think he read that philosophy wrong he tried to make it more exactly. than just a football club and like turn it into a business but it's not that's not what that means that means more than a football mm-hmm. club of family right and exactly. I think Bartomeu chopped up that vision and tried to turn it into a business. And that's what he did wrong. And then Christian, you talk about Bayern Munich. The thing that always reminds you of Bayern Munich is Mia San Mia. And the way that their jerseys are made, they have Bayern Munich above the numbers and the name below the team comes before the individual. The philosophy comes before any like individual part of the team. And that's what Barcelona lost under Bartomeu. Bartomeu cut up the philosophy. He cut up the ideals of the team and he made it something that it wasn't. And I think that's why he's the problem. And that's why he needed to go. And, um, and I feel like as a president, he was supposed to like strategize also. Like, yeah. I, you know, like I mentioned, he made so many great prospective buys like Alfonso Davies. Just because he was Canadian, he wasn't taking into consideration to fill in the spots of the left or the right wing. And now, just because he wants to, you know, fight and or like push himself in into the American market, into the U.S. market. He went for the, uh, the signing of Virginia uh, yeah. Dest. And unfortunately, that's, you know, like you said, like uh, you said, that's not the way that you handle a traditional club that has been for over a century representing and did re- this beautiful, beautiful game of soccer, yeah. of football. And uh, we, like I said, you know, we lost that identity. We lost that touch. We lost that play on with the ball and off the ball because we used mm-hmm. to play Dani Alves. He always made those amazing runs on the right side with Messi, obviously taking a lot of pressure off the ball when Messi had the ball. And so he was able to create that that extra space for any other play to appear and pop around and, and make sure that Messi was able to distribute the game because he knows how to distribute the game, let's be real, yeah. because he has that knack for it. He has that vision. And like I said, unfortunately, he... The whole board probably did not took into consideration that you had a true playmaker that he was going to be able to make the rest of the team play at a certain way or the or the way that Messi was taught to play by Xavi, by Iniesta, by Puyol, by Eto, by Thierry Henry, you know, those big players who obviously they speak wonders of, of Messi. I think Bartomeu took everything that was wrong with the Galactico system at Madrid and put it in place at Barcelona. Exactly well put. That's exactly a great comparison. And everything wow. that Perez did wrong at Madrid in his first couple of years is what Bartomeu did trying to fix what he thought was wrong with Barcelona. And that's where I think the cracks started to form. I'll just say very quickly, there's not much left to add. I will just say, I just saw a report from gold.com where I believe the club said that there's another salary reduction that'll be needed. If not, they won't be able to play the players right after January. So that's going to be crazy. Just a couple other things I found. The club debt stands at 800 million euros with Bartomeu being in charge. And on top of that, I found a, a quote from Messi where, you know, this is him, I believe a couple months ago or last year, where he just says, the truth is there has been no project or anything for a long time. They juggle and cover holes as the time goes by. So we'll stay tuned on this. I believe the damage is already done. I'm not sure if Bartomeu being out really does wonders. I, I think there's more work to do on this end. Time will tell and we'll see how it goes. But yeah, all I right, feel guys. Like we're rebuilding. We're rebuilding. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, guys, we got to get into Barcelona Juve. That was a heck of a game by the Champions League. No Cristiano Ronaldo, I will add. Hugh, I'll let you go first on that one. All right. I'm going to be really quick on this one. 
Obviously, Ronaldo makes his comeback at Spezia over the weekend after that game. He scores two goals. He bags, like, really, really nice finishes. He's good. When when Juve are missing Cristiano Ronaldo, they are not the same team. We saw it against Dynamo Kiev. We see it against Barcelona. They don't play the same style of football that Andre Pirlo wants them to play because they can't. They don't have their focal man. They don't have their Cristiano Ronaldo. Look, no matter who you play in that team, it's not going to work without Cristiano and it didn't work, and especially against Barcelona and a Barcelona unit that really, honestly, in that game, I was talking about Pedri. Pedri played the best game I've ever seen him play, and he played a damn good game. He played such a good game. I saw uh, a young Javi in, in Pedri. He was doing, and, and maybe a little Neymar, he was doing flicks. He was like doing really nice pace change. He was doing directional change. He was getting into the box. He was slashing crosses off. He was good. Barcelona was good in that game. Junior Firpo played well in that game. Ansu Fati played well in that game. Trincao played well in that game. All of the young signings played well in that game. And that's why Barcelona won. Maybe there was like a little bit of luck here and there. But at the end of the day, Barca outplayed Juventus because of the young players. I just think that uh, Juventus looked so lethargic. They came out to play and Barcelona had possession of the ball from the minute one until the last minute. And I'm a little bit worried, to be honest, because tactically, uh, tactically, Pirlo's attack came from counters open wide on the wings. And, but I, other than that, I didn't see much, with the exception, of course, shout out to our boy Cayo. Alvaro Morata's positioning on the field has been phenomenal these last couple of games. Although except, he got three offsides. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's good. Ooh, he's good left like, to you, right. He's good look, left to right, but up and down the field, look, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> look, look, look. They were very close. But anyways, I mean, if he's not offside, he's scoring goals. That's, That's the true. thing. So he also was a nice, nice pivot because he gave a nice pass to the Rabiot. And man, he should have scored that one. So, you know, you have, you know, he's he's doing a couple of things that really impressed me. But again, is Cristiano Ronaldo not being there the reason why they lost? I'm not sure. I mean, you have Dybala, La Joya, who's supposed to be showing up in these games and you don't see that. So, you know, well, not just back Dybala. again, I mean, you have Kuliszewski, you have Kisea, like Kisea, like you have, you have some quality players. You have some quality players too. That's what I'm saying. Technically speaking, uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm a little bit worried. And and like you said, Juventus, you know, they, they ended up tying a game just recently with Lazio. So I don't know. But basically, uh, I wanted to focus on Barcelona because they did great way of containing the possession. I think, you know, one of the things that I really want to mention is like young players like Pedri, whenever Messi's dribbling through the middle, I see that he passes his on to the wide and these guys are not shooting the ball. So maybe that's something they can continue to work on because, you know, I know that you love to play back to Messi, but sometimes you got to shoot the ball. This is, this is something that I don't tell my only to my Rebel team. This is something I'm telling Barcelona too. You can depend on Messi just to take all the shots. Take the shots. Don't be afraid to take them. And, you know, I'm just glad to see a team that, that looks well, even with all the things that has happened uh, this past couple of months and year. All right, Marv, what's your take on the Barca Juve? Uh, let's start with the Bejais. Uh I say that Pedri is an exceptional player. I think he's going to be um, leading the Barcelona uh, in the next 10 years if he stays with Barcelona. He is similar. He has similar skill abilities to to Iniesta and the vision to Xavi. He's been progressing to be a great 
uh, assist, man. Uh, I just saw today um, an amazing pass, a backheel pass to Griezmann, who who just missed by a bit. But uh, that pass alone, it just says so much of so much of the confidence that he has. He he's been progressing, like I said, he's been progressing with you know not just skill but confidence, attitude, and responsiveness in the the midfield, and as, as well as like being being there when your other team your other teammates need to. Also, the other the other highs would be like Ansu Fati and uh, the other youngsters like uh, Tengao, kind of like stepping up to the game and stepping up to to the plate to to show to to push forward. Uh, yes, like uh, Christian says, they need to take a lot more shots. They need to be regain the confidence that they also can uh, take long long range shots and they also can score from from outside the box. Uh, they they have you know they have great potential just to like run off and take on take on any any defender because of their speed, their uh, their their ability as well as their young their age. They they got they got it. They should just go on uh, and and speed up the the line uh, the sidelines because uh, they're able to achieve that. Uh, however, you know there's the lows for for Barcelona. They uh, their lack of, of responsiveness and and the defense is is very very really scary to see for the next five to ten games. I feel like Pique and Inglet they're not really working well together. They're missing that that timing. Uh, I feel like Coleman should go for Instead of Piquet, he should go for Araujo because just to give him a shot, just to give him give him an opportunity to to prove himself that he can definitely step up to the plate. But uh, aside from that, Juve did play a non-responsive game as well. They um, they they were missing their their leadership from Cristiano. I think uh, having Cristiano in the pitch is also uh, a, a big big morale booster, just because you know he is who he is. And aside from that, Messi played a really calm. Uh, very steady, and he came up with a goal. Uh, he made really key passes, and everyone played really well together. However, I feel like they also missed a lot of chances that they can ca- they could have kept capitalized on it. Uh, and you know, uh, they should be they should be moving forward and improving on those. Pjanic did great, by the way. I think I oh, like yeah. what I'm seeing for Pjanic. Absolutely. Yeah, good taste, guys. And for me, I mean, I was so excited for this game. But then once we found out that Cristiano Ronaldo had COVID and he wasn't going to be in the game, I, f- I feel like it lost its kind of hype. But regardless, uh, it was a good game. Of course, I'll give props for credits due to FC Barcelona. I do think Juve didn't come out with that much energy. Or I guess if it was just maybe relying too much on Cristiano Ronaldo or the leadership of him. Uh, I will say it still feels a little weird seeing uh, Miralem Pjanic in a, in a Barca jersey. I got to get used to that. But I will say uh, Barca put the pressure on early, man. They defended really well. I mean, it all started really with Griezmann hitting the post like in the, in the first minute. <laughs> and, and you could already kind of tell the tempo on that. And the first goal came in the 13th minute by a, by a deflection. Um, Usman Dembele hit the ball and it deflected off uh, Federico Chiesa, the winger. And on paper, Alvaro Morata had himself a hat trick. They just didn't count. Man, <laughs> kudos, kudos to Juve. I think they got to bounce back. I also do think they're still trying to find their rhythm under Pirlo. So more to come yeah. on Juve. And also, and one last note, it was really good to see, uh, you know, the American Sergino Dest and Weston McKinney out there on the field, you know, in a Champions League game. It doesn't happen too often. So really excited about that. And um, all right, guys, we got to get over to our guest, Glenn Davis. He's coming up next. Glenn Davis, we're really excited for him. He is is a former Houston Dynamo player. He's a local broadcaster for the Houston Dynamo. He also runs his own show, Soccer Matters with Glenn Davis. You guys got to check him out. He's an awesome guy. He's coming up next. Let's get it. 
All right, ladies and gents, we have broadcasting royalty on the show today. He's a sportscaster for the Houston Dynamo and his weekly show, Soccer Matters with Glenn Davis. He's commentated World Cup matches on ESPN, the Olympics on NBC, and he's also done some men's and women's college soccer. He's also a former professional soccer player, and he's coached youth soccer as well. Let's please welcome the one and only, it's a true pleasure to have him, the one and only, Mr. Glenn Davis. All right, guys. Thanks <laughs> thanks for having me on. Ronnie, Christian, I appreciate it. I, I've been looking yes, forward sir. to doing Doing this good to get a little east coast flavor going here. yes sir we have to bring you <laughs> over to the east coast mr davis really appreciate you being on the show with us as a person who loves the game and who's been around the game for so long how does it feel to have soccer back in our lives and and just as a follow-up to that what's broadcasting been looking like for you lately with all these protocols and safe measures with COVID and everything yeah it's been it's been very uplifting to kind of get back and actually call games again so it was probably five and a half months without it and um we all know what it's like to be without the the sport that we love. Uh, I also think there was a lot of learning during the period where, you know, we weren't calling games and leagues were shut down. You know, one of the favorite questions I have interviewing players and coaches is, is, you know, because of COVID, has it made you appreciate the game even more? And most everybody would answer 100% yes. So that would be the same with me. I was fortunate because I have this home studio to be able to continue to do radio shows. So that kind of get kept me connected. But, you know, without live games, there wasn't a lot to talk about. So I'm back doing Major League Soccer right now for the Houston Dynamo. Um, we finished phase one. We're going to go into phase two, which is three games. We have a game against Minnesota on the weekend, and it'll be the first time there'll be fans in the stadium. So just overjoyed, privileged to do what I do still uh, after all these years, and just excited to get back in the stadium and see a smattering of fans. For myself and Christian as soccer fans, you know. As me and everything. Soccer, yeah. <laughs> In regards to your career, Glenn, we know a lot of players in the past have pretty much gone from players into broadcasting. As of lately, we've probably seen like a Tim Howard, retired goalkeeper, getting into the Premier League now. And we just wanted to ask you, how was that shift from you, obviously being a former player? How did it all start with you? And did you know you wanted to get into broadcasting when you were already playing? How was that shift for you? Yeah, I think it's I think it's a pretty good story because it's not the conventional way. And obviously, I did not have the notoriety or the playing career of Tim Howard. Uh, <laughs> so let's not even go there um <laughs> but but you were good <laughs> happened for me is you know when you got done playing professional soccer and i bounced around the different leagues and they always had financial problems here in the u.s asl usl all these different leagues i went into youth coaching and that really was the main option then if you wanted to remain in the sport you loved uh, you had to get into some form of coaching now it's completely different and i think this is the beauty of growth and time passing is that there's all these opportunities that are involved with soccer whether you're working in the front office of a club, you could be in the marketing side of it, sales, uh, you can be on the coaching side of it, you can be a technical director, a sporting director. There's there's all these different areas straight up to commentating. And it's been great. I mean, when I'm covering games here in Houston and Tab Ramos is the coach of the Houston Dynamo, and you know, you're looking at a guy that spent the time, you know, working at the coaching craft now, separate to the playing and hundred percent focused on it and doing it with the youth to earn this opportunity and now do well with the opportunity. You know, it's just such a stark contrast to, to what was going on when I was there, you know, and it wasn't even about money coaching youth soccer. It was just, hey, I'm at the field six days of the week and I'm working with kids and I'm putting a program together and I'm learning to be a better coach and, you know, all the things that come along with the sport you love and, you know, pioneering a bit, I would say. We all did, did some pioneering. So I got lucky in 94, I got asked to call some indoor soccer games locally because we had an indoor soccer team here in Houston and it 
just kind of took off. Some people kind of encouraged me. I knew that Major League Soccer was coming in 96, so there would be more opportunity. I started as an analyst. I transitioned into being a play-by-play guy and always felt that, you know, doing play-by-play, I would probably need to make this transition because, you know, the Alexi Lalas's of the world and all the guys with the name recognition from the national team were going to get into the analytical role. And that doesn't mean I couldn't have survived there, but it gave me the opportunity to be more versatile. And then from the perspective of being an ex-player in the play-by-play role, I thought that would be a a big advantage to me in working with a partner in that I could lead them into some deeper things when it came to the tactics of the game and, you know, having been there a little bit. So that's really how it worked. It wasn't conventional. I did go back to school and take a few classes because I wanted to succeed at it. And I learned very quickly that it was a really interesting way to stay involved with the game. I also learned very quickly that you have to have more than a little bit of quote-unquote soccer knowledge. You know, you have to know how to work with a camera, timing, there's all kinds of things. And I mean, I would even say at this point, um, there is still a ceiling for me to get better, which I think is is, is a real key. Oh, Absolutely. For sure. for sure. Totally relatable to us as well. Kind of like you to stay on the same topic. Before I, I go into the playing career, uh, I wanted to ask you, obviously you, you, you've done such a great job as a broadcaster, as a play-by-play commentator. You also cover the 2000 2002 World Cup. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but that was your first coverage of a World Cup as a broadcaster? So 98, I had an amazing story. I walked into Fox and I said, hey, the World Cup's going. You guys need coverage. I'm your guy. And they hired me on the spot. So oh, okay. 98. 98 World Cup, I did <laughs> okay. some analysis called the Fox Scope. Okay. Basically, I'd take an element of a game and, you know, uh, there were different guys in there doing it for different sports. And um, and um, so 2002 was the first one I actually did play-by-play. And this was this was the, it was Japan, right? Japan, Korea, Japan. yeah. Mm-hmm. So 2002, I'm trying to remember. So we were calling games in the middle of the night out of Bristol, Connecticut, you know, off a monitor. That's really how it worked. And uh, no, it was a great experience. I worked with a number of different analysts. Giorgio Canaglia was one of them. And so, uh, yeah, that was, that was, that was great. That was the entry into it. And then every four years, you could see that more and more was being put into covering World Cups from ESPN and, and Fox. I like to say that you were the lucky charm for the United States to advance to the quarterfinals, you know, against yeah, Germany. Yeah, I'm not sure people are going to point to me, but, <laughs> but we'll take any credit. That we can you get. heard it here first. We heard it here first. Glenn Davis was the lucky charm. Yeah. Now, focusing a little bit more about your, your playing career, obviously, there's a difference with the current professional level now and back in the 80s. But, you know, would you, I wanted to focus a little bit about, you know, your playing career and the Pennsylvania Stoners, Houston Dynamo. What was that experience like uh, as a player in the 1980s? Yeah, I think it was different. I mean, I mean, look, so you had the, the NASL and, and all the big Cosmos games that I used to go to as a teenager, you know, that, that was on the down. So, you know, guys were trying to find leagues to play in. A lot of those guys migrated over to, to some of these quote unquote lesser leagues, the ASL, the USL. You might play in a high school stadium at home and then your next game, you might be playing in the Silver Dome in Detroit. I mean, it was just pretty bizarre. A lot of it was on artificial surface, which also was pretty bizarre. But, you know, you'd be playing the Jacksonville team in and, you know, you look on their sideline and there's their coach, Dennis Violet, who's a legendary goal scorer for Manchester United, survived the plane crash. Mm-hmm. And you're just going, yeah, this is totally surreal. You know, you're, 
you're playing against some of these guys that played in World Cups and, and with that. So, you know, there were a lot of young, ambitious guys like me that wanted to extend their careers. And you know, I wouldn't trade anything back. It, 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 you know, I wouldn't say it was the easiest. Nobody was getting really rich, certainly uh, young American guys. There was always the, the thought that the team or the league was going to fold, you know, guys would get their paychecks by their locker and then some of them would leave without even showering to race to the bank because they were afraid that there'd be enough funds in the bank to cover the, the checks. So if you wow. were, you know, guys 16, 17 or 18 and you didn't get there fast enough, your check might bounce, you know? So oh, man. It, it was differing times, but it, but it was also okay because you were young. You didn't have a lot of expenses. You were really focused on the game. I played next to a hardened veteran from England, a guy named Peter Carr, who taught me a lot. I mean, I roomed with him. I traveled with him. He was relentless on me, but he improved me as a soccer player. So, no, they were great experiences. We played in different stadiums around the U.S., and sometimes there'd be 1,500 people. Sometimes there'd be 10,000, 11,000, you know. Didn't matter. So, uh, no, they were good times. I, I should probably write a book about that because there's some you remarkable, remarkable stories. Especially especially because I wanted to talk a little bit about the 1984 season where you had to play against the likes of, you know, Peruvian legend Teofilo Cubillas, you know, Richard Hartford, Dave Watson, you know, all these legendary players you know what was that like defending against them well I think you know first of all Cabillas was older but he was still very tricky and very dangerous and yes. I actually had the assignment to have to cover him so it was a, a huge honor it wasn't an honor for him he didn't know who I was but <laughs> you know I knew who he was and, and and those guys were all very professional obviously you could see he was on another level Dave Watson was the captain of England, you know, traded jerseys with him. He was he was a big sort of hero of mine because he played the same position as me. And then Asa Hartford played for Scotland and played in the English First Division. There was no Premier League then. So for young American players to get the opportunity to play against these guys or with these guys, a lot of good things rubbed off. And to those guys, you know, you have to be very grateful. Keith Weller was our coach, who was a Leicester City player and also played for England as well. So I, I think that's what you kind of go to then, you know, okay, Kubias is 36 years old. So what? It doesn't mean anything to me. It's Kubias, right? So if, yeah. if I tackle the ball away from him or, or I have a good game against him, it's only something that motivates and helps a young soccer player, right? So you have to look at it from his perspective and mine. I will tell you, he, he, he put a big effort in. And I, I know his son because I actually did a game with his son, Coco, oh, wow. for being sports. And he, he's, his son is a great kid, just like his father. But long story short, there's always something to be, to be taken out of these things by someone. And a lot of times, if you're the younger guy, you know, it's ambition. It's you were on the field with them. You competed against them. You did some positive things. That's, that's how players develop and accelerate their growth through experience. Yeah, you definitely paved the way for future soccer players to, to have the courage and, and play at yeah, the level against I don't against know if I paved these... the way, but I think a lot of us back then, <laughs> unknowingly, we were kind of pioneering, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. You know, I, I listen to guys in MLS now, you know, when they have issues about certain things and I'm like, oh, you know, I, and then I'm like thinking about my day and I'm like, yeah, you think you got a bet, you know, so it's all relative, right? And you also don't want to be the older guy saying, well, remember in my day, you know, <laughs> uh, it just was different. We, we all have jumped on this amazing train at different times and nobody, I wouldn't give the experiences away for anything. Now the game is completely different now. There was no social media then. You really had to fight hard to get a little bit of coverage. You know, here in Houston, you know, we were always on page seven of the paper and the guy coming out probably didn't even care about soccer. He was like a race car uh, 
columnists, you know. So yeah, it's all different, but uh, you, you don't trade these things in for any anything. And I don't go back. I look forward. Hey, speaking of that, you know, there's no, there wasn't a VAR back then. So would you say that you would be getting away with some calls, you know, maybe yellow cars, red cars that uh, consider it was more physical back then? Yeah, it was more physical. It was very, very different. The game was a lot different. There was a lot more contact. I mean, you know, things that you see today were just essential parts of the game. And, and uh, yeah, there, there were, you know, the definition of a foul was completely different back then than it is. <laughs> I mean, seriously. And I think that's one thing you look at when you see players come from other countries in Major League Soccer. They have to adapt to what the definition of a foul is in the United States. And that gets... That gets a little muddy and then you have to, they have to adapt to it, you know, because certain things that we call a good tackle in 1984, you know, it's a red card offense now. So it's just, it's just different. It's all the evolution. We had uh, Marcelo Balboa recently on the show and he said the oh, same thing that if he were yeah. playing soccer now, he'd just be full of yellow cards and red cards. <laughs> <laughs> He, him, Marcelo and I are good friends. We did the, the HTNet MLS broadcast game of the week for six years together. So we traveled to all the stadiums all over the U.S. Oh, great yeah. guy. Really great yeah. guy. We were yeah, so glad to have him. Super guy. He, he had a lot of really good insight into, into the MLS, but also uh, he, he did lament about the fact that he couldn't tear people's leather boots apart with his, with his wild <laughs> studs anymore. Talking, talking about a little bit the progression of players and, and like you said, players having to move around and, and taking advantages where they can get them. I feel like now we see that, but just slightly differently. Just yesterday, the news broke that Albert Ellis, the um, Dynamo striker, is going to Boavista in Portugal. We just saw Reggie Cannon as well from FC Dallas is also moving to same team in Portugal. Do you think maybe some MLS players now are sort of taking the jump that players from leagues in South America like Uruguay or, or other smaller leagues where you see more like developmental football going on. Do you think players are now making that jump from the MLS to try to go to the bigger European feeder leagues in a way that we haven't really seen before? And do you think maybe that's going to lead to the MLS getting big sort of international dealings with these with these mega clubs in Europe, bringing a better relation between the, the two leagues? Yeah, I think it's a good point. I think you're seeing a league that is becoming a buying and selling league. And listen, if, if you don't think guys are coming from South America to use Major League Soccer as a stepping stone to get to Europe, you're kidding yourself. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And, you know, I think sometimes uh, we're, we're a little frail emotionally and it hurts us that somebody jumps to another league. For the Houston Dynamo, that's a success. I don't know the numbers on the transfer fee, so I can't tell you if it was a financial success. But to acquire a player from Honduras, he develops here and now he goes to Boavista. The other thing is for two years, he's been saying he wants to go to Europe. Now, I think maybe the Dynamo missed the period to sell him where they would have profited more. I hold on to him. But, you know, I think it's good for both parties now because Albert gets to pursue his dream. And I think he gave everything he could to Houston. And Houston's going to lose a very big tactical piece because teams are going to look at them, look at them differently. And I can tell you from all the coaches that I talked to in Major League Soccer, the first name that comes up when talking about the Houston Dynamo is Albert Elise. Not only for the 30-plus goals and the 20-plus assists, but, you know, he's just a very disruptive guy. And, and he plays a part in, in a lot of goals where it doesn't statistically show up. But because he's, he's breached the back line or, you know, he, he forces teams to defend deeper with their line of resistance just because he's out there, right? I mean, you don't, you don't find that kind of speed. And you need, you need young guys that are athletic that can run an MLS. Now, to get back to your question, I do think you're going to see buying and selling, and you are going to see um, uh, sort of the, the European promise when you come to Major League Soccer, we're going to help you, Rodolfo Pizarro. 
here in Miami, me, David Beckham, because I have all these contacts. We're going to help you get your desired dream to one day get over to Europe. But we want you to help us kick Miami off in, in a big way. So I think there's going to be a lot of that. I think there's incredible values in South America. I mean, I'm watching, I'm doing my radio show right from where you guys see me last night. And I have a big monitor here and I got the... Uh, Copa Libertadores on and I'm going every technical director in the league is now watching these games and looking at the talent that's here and following through on some of these guys you're not doing your job I mean it's there for you to see and and their leads and there's agents down there now so yeah I think it's you're going to have to be adept at buying and selling. I think you're going to really have to be acute if you're some of the teams that don't uh, invest as much in players. You're going to have to hit on these things more often than not. Glenn, you quickly just touched on it, but we wanted to just really ask you about your show. And we love the name, Soccer Matters. Yeah. Such a basic, but such a great concept for ourselves. We love that name, Soccer Matters. I think sports matters, especially how was, right now we're trying to get back into some normalcy of our, of our society. We wanted to just quickly ask you, what have been some of your most memorable guests? And probably when you first got into broadcasting at probably in the beginning of the interview who were some of the first guests that you were like holy cow i cannot believe i'm interviewing this guy right now or uh, if you had any wow moments uh, when you first got into broadcasting yeah that's that's a that's a really good question so first off the name just came i've had the name a long time it's not something that I just thought, you know, this is a sport that affects people all over the world from the standpoint of every nationality, diversity, ethnicity, you name it. You know, there's nothing that brings people together like this, maybe outside of food and music, right? So mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons why I named it that. And the other was just kind of a tongue-in-cheek poke at, hey, hey, does anybody care? You know, because like <laughs> when I started the radio show, you know, it was kind of like, and it's still very tough to these days, even here in Houston with mainstream media. To be on a mainstream channel where I am now after starting it on public radio is pretty amazing. So that's kind of how the name developed. I've been on the radio for 17 years, which is a pretty long run. You know, I have differing sponsors. Uh, that, amazing that career. Get the show on the, on the air, but I buy my time. People don't know that. They think I'm, you know, just some guy that's hired and paid to come do a soccer show. Well, no, there's a lot of other things that go into it. The selling of it, which is not my favorite part of it, but uh -huh. you have to do that in order to buy the time at the radio station. So going back to guests, a lot of my early guests were major league soccer guys like Bruce Arena and national team guys. But I had a line to a lot of them then. And the other thing was, is they needed publicity. So when you went to people, they talked to you, right? It's a little different now. If I go to get Bruce Arena now, you know, it's not as easy. To, you know, maybe he doesn't want to talk so much now because he's older and he's been in his career a long time. He's a little um, bit off the radar now, you know. Yeah, and I think sometimes, I think coaches in MLS now have to understand that, that part of their job description now is being good with the media, especially if you're not the coach of Atlanta, Seattle, or Portland, right? If your stands aren't filled, you're expected to be a leader. You're expected to be a fulcrum. You're expected to be somebody who deals with the media in a way that can attract fans. And, and, and if you're not upbeat and lively about your team and willing to talk about it and give a little insight that goes beyond just, you know, coach speak, um, you're doing a disservice to the people who are selling tickets and trying to market the team and everything else. So uh, I think there's a larger dynamic that sometimes is missed. I don't think MLS or any of us should ever act as though we've arrived. I think that's a big, big mistake. I think to stay hungry and know that we haven't arrived and are still fighting, you know, differing uh, prejudices from the standpoint of how good our league is and quality and it's the U.S. and they know nothing about soccer. Uh, I think that's a great thing because it keeps you, keeps you hungry and it keeps you fired up. 
maybe the some of the you know I've done some amazing overseas interviews. The legendary Alex Stepney from Manchester United, who won the European Cup and made the infamous save against the great Eusebio. That would be going back. You know, on TV, I've interviewed you know Beckham. Uh, oh, you know, some of the normal guys you get. Lots of U.S. national team players. So you know, I don't. I, you know, I'll probably get off the interview with you and I'll go. Geez, I should have said this because this. <laughs> <laughs> this was the most compelling. But I will tell you, sometimes the most compelling interviews are not necessarily the biggest names. Of course. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. There's people out there. And I like to seek out sometimes people that go under the radar, that don't always have the platform. The assistant coaches, the technical coaches that, sometimes. That, yes. Abs- absolutely. Uh, Todd Ramos has been great with the media down here. It's been a breath of fresh air in Houston um, because he's just so upfront. And, you know, you, you listen to him and you talk with him. And I think we played against each other once in 1989. He was a younger guy. And, um, you know, you can tell that if you're a player and you have a coach that's honest with you and he's not dancing with you and he's telling you the truth, uh, you can find your path a little bit easier as opposed to being in a level of wonderment all the time, right? So I can imagine and, and I see that the players really enjoy playing with him. Yeah, and going back a little bit on, on MLS and, and your show, I wanted to ask you, I, I listened to one of the episodes from two weeks ago and you had praise for Alfonso Davis, you know, his level of maturity, his talent. And, you know, that's something that, that MLS should be proud, like you said. What are some things that the MLS is doing right? And, and what are some things that we can do better to continue to have these type of uh, talented players stay uh, play in the MLS? Yeah, I, I think they're reaping the benefits now of, of academies and everything. Um, you know, I think some clubs are more serious about that than others. I think for some clubs, it's, it's a mechanism for marketing. I think for other clubs, it's, it's real serious player development. I think there is a little smoke and mirror sometimes with all the rhetoric and the languaging and pathway to the pros and all this, 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 this kind of language, which I guess that's just part and parcel of all leagues now. You know, you're not going to develop players on Twitter and you're not going to develop players on Facebook. You're going to develop them by getting a great coaching staff, by being real and honest with players and making them a, a part of your professional club and your community. And I think we've seen a lot of kids come out that we're very, very impressed with. You know, you got Aronson in Philadelphia now. Yes. And the model for some teams is, is definitely youth. I don't think it can be one or the other. Um, I, I, I think has to be a blend of different things because youth needs experience around them to learn from as well. It's not just coaches you learn from. New York Rebels, listen to this, please. You learn from environments. I quickly found that out when I was a youth coach. It's like, we can't keep playing the same teams in, in the city. They can't keep just listening to me. I have to put them in an environment that'll physically and organically teach them. So I put, put my best players in a men's league. Makes sense. But I think there's exciting young talent in MLS. I think Alfonso Davies... It's just a remarkable story from a refugee. But I think the other thing that benefited him was incredibly mature kid, incredibly mature. But to go to the environment of the Bundesliga and Bayern Munich, I think there's no better place for young players to go because of the discipline of those environments, the order that German clubs have. And, you know, if you go over there and you're not mature enough and you're not adaptable and you can't handle disappointment, you're not going to make it. And, you know, his, his rise is incredible, no question. I think well, one of the great quotes we've had on, on this show was from Christian Vieri, who we had earlier when he was talking about players moving to different leagues. And he was talking about Romelu Lukaku going into the Italian league and oh. how he'd, he'd lose a couple of kilos and turn into this well-oiled machine. <laughs> and it was, it was great to hear 
uh, him talking about Antonio Conte's trading problem. And I think, I think he touched on that there where players moving to harder leagues is really what brings out the best in them. But I think we, we love our serious questions here, but I, I kind of want to move on to a, a little more Let's lighthearted. Let's have fun. Question. Yeah, well, it doesn't right. have to all be serious. <laughs> cool. Everybody Great. says I'm too serious all the time. I don't know. I don't think that. <laughs> Not yeah. at all. Not at all. So you mentioned you got uh, a couple of great shirt swaps during your career and, and you got to meet a couple of like, amazing players. And I can see behind you, you have some pretty remarkable pieces of, of soccer memorabilia. Yeah. Usually, usually at my setup, I have a, a Zidane signed jersey behind me as well. So I like to think <laughs> oh, of myself as a bit of a memorabilia collector. But I got to ask you, what is your favorite piece of memorabilia or like the rarest piece of memorabilia you've collected? Ooh. Because it's got to be something great. Wow. So, you know, there's stuff that's just gotten to me through broadcasting. I think one that's pretty unique is, I don't know if you guys know this guy very well, but he's the legendary player from El Salvador, uh, El Magico, Jorge Gonzalez. Read up on him. He's an amazing story. He played in Spain, but I played against him once he was with FAS. And, you know, I, you know, there was no social media or anything. FAS was a team from El Salvador. It was an exhibition game in Houston. It drew about 7,000 Salvadorians, quite frankly. And Mexico Gonzalez, uh, Maradona had once made some incredible claim about him. But Jorge Mexico Gonzalez uh, was an El Salvador national team player, played in Spain. Probably he's the most famous player in their history. And he was playing that day and everybody was talking about him. And I didn't really know much about him because it was hard to follow games back then, right? I mean, there was no social media. And I'm looking over there and I'm watching this guy and I'm like, is that the guy they're talking about? We're warming up a little bit. And I just glance over and He's a skinny little guy with a funny nose. And all of a sudden, somebody hit a 50-yard ball, and the guy takes it down like it's a bag of flour. And I'm like, oh, okay, that must be him. You know, and, and, he, and, he, was, and he, was, he was remarkable. And I got to trade jerseys with him after the game. Uh, Sheffield United came here once, and I traded with Phil Thompson. Now, back in my day, you weren't really allowed to, you know, you got in trouble a lot of times if you traded jerseys, okay? Because now they had to go print another one. And, you know, it's not like now where, you know, each guy's got a 1,000 jerseys and they can give them out and trade them and sign them for the fans and stuff. So it was a little bit different. There was repercussions when you decided to do these things sometimes. So it was different. But I have some... Wonderful stuff in there. I, I, I haven't even, I think I have a signed book of juniors that might have uh, Tevez on it that, that, that people have, you know, given me. But I, I have a couple boxes of stuff that one day I guess I need to look through, right? Hugh, Hugh, I'll remember you in my will. Oh, yeah, great. <laughs> hey, Hugh, you, you better share some of that. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Hugh, any yeah. relation to Harry Kane? No, I, and, and probably for the better because most of my, commentary on him is slander because I, I i'm i'm sort of a quasi arsenal fan because my my dad oh, is okay. um I, I try not to dabble too much in the premier league i'm more of a la liga supporter it would i be want a little... you guys digging into copa libertadores because it's off yes the rails. we'll have to do another oh, episode you know, with you on copa this is the thing i'm gonna make a bigger effort to watch more of it this year mm -hmm. and I'll, I'll tell you why i love the champions league it is super slick it's like perfect right champions league everything's perfect surfaces uh, once you get into the latter stages it's a little more homogenized, but man, Copa Libertadores, it's like, you know, you, you sometimes wonder if players are going to actually survive when they, when they try to get out of the stadium, right? It's all out. Or a car battery f flies out of the upper deck and lands <laughs> behind the goal, you know, yeah. but, but it, it's, it's kind of mano y mano. Libertadores is pretty cool. I, I you, like it. It makes you think it, of um, the days in Spain when Luis Figo would get pig heads thrown at him. 
because he, you know, <laughs> he was. That's what happens shorter. when you go from one one big team to the other, right? <laughs> yeah. Madrid and Barcelona. Oof. If if you do get a chance, I recommend you watching uh, Independiente del Valle. They're they're a very impressive team from Ecuador. They're they're gonna play, I think, Flamengo uh, soon. Okay. So Wait, you know, week. Flamengo. Yeah, Oof, Flamengo. And, and, yeah, Flamengo is a big team, <laughs> but. Uh, this team in Ecuador has really surpassed all expectation. I think you might enjoy watching them. Yes. Yeah, so you get those kind of great surprises because they're not leagues you can always watch. Like, so, so now that Elise is going to Bovista, I'm going to watch those games because Reggie Cannon's there as well. And, and I'm very interested, you know, if weekly we can watch those games. And if he's playing, we can see how he's adjusting to the league with our own lens, you know. And hey, Glenn, uh, just one of the last questions we had. I know uh, yep. we were reading on your amazing career and we see that this game, this beautiful game is kind of taking you pretty much around the world. Uh, we see that you've called games in El Salvador, Guatemala, Mexico, Germany. What has been one, maybe one or a couple of your favorite countries that you visited or probably experienced? Like you said, you know, watching Copa Libertadores and these not so pretty stadiums, but it, it really gives you the feel. <laughs> what have been some of your favorite arenas or stadiums or countries that you've probably had to visit? Okay, so I'll go uh, Germany, uh, Dortmund Stadium for the U.S. against Germany. Actually, Marcelo and I did that game for ESPN. Signal Iduna Park. Yep. Yeah, that was just amazing because of the German fans. It was a freezing night. They don't play over there. People. Yeah, it was just remarkable. Uh, Klinsmann was a coach of Germany. There was like 15,000 people at their practice, and they were kind of shouting him down because he had an open practice. Uh, I would say El Salvador and Guatemala because it's a bit edgy and um, you realize the importance of an American team being there and their chance to beat them on their soil. You know, there's always a lot of security and guns around. And I always loved, I was kind of like an adventure, you know, I always, I always loved that. But it also opened my eyes to a lot of things. I mean, it, it allows me to, to, to measure a lot of things. I mean, I have a lot of friends from Guatemala, Honduras, Central America, here in Houston. So it, it allows me to be able to speak to them a little bit more because I have traveled there. It also reminds me how fortunate we are, you know, in a lot of ways to live in the United States. So, you know, those are always cool. I, I saw Salvador meet Mexico in the final of the, uh, there was 60,000 in the Cuscatlan. I'm calling the game. I got two guys with machine guns standing behind me. Oh, I asked to go to the <laughs> restroom. I wade through the crowd at halftime and I'm going in the restroom and I hear all this giggling right? Little, little kids laughing. I turn the corner, there's a broken pipe. Now remember, there's 60,000 people here. Of course. There's a broken pipe in the bathroom shooting water out like a water fountain. And there's these three little kids in their underwear dancing in the water and having a great time, right? And you're just kind of like, oh my God, I mean, this is surreal. Like, where are their parents? You know, I mean, there's 60,000 people here. Somebody could snatch, you know, so different for us. And it's a stadium that's falling apart, right? So these are things that, I mean, a lot of times I don't even get to talk about them. Like when you bring this question up, it just takes me back there. Of course. Like, yeah, we had these, to. These, these are amazing experiences that I've had. And, and, you know, it could all end today for me. And it's like for a guy that never studied this to, to get to this level, it, it, it's unbelievable, really. Uh, Mr. Davis, uh, one of the things that Ronnie and I wanted to hear, you know, we, we haven't asked anyone yet. And so we wanted to, to see if you can give us an outro of me, Ronnie, and Hugh on your most Glenn Davis way, if possible. Just, just to take it home as we wrap up. <laughs> you guys are the future. I'm glad you're doing this, and I'm very honored that you brought me here. So oh, Christian, Ronnie, Hugh, the Soccer Subs Podcast, it's game on. Yeah. Yes, sir. You heard it here from Glenn Davis. <laughs> Glenn, thank you so much for being on the show. 
can't, Guys, can't thank you enough. Christian, we hope to have you. Again. Absolute pleasure. Keep up the good work. We'll yeah. talk soon, okay? All right, guys, that was the episode with Glenn Davis. I hope you guys liked it. What a great guy, Glenn Davis, joining us all the way from Houston, Houston, Texas. Really excited to have him on the show. Fellas, before we go, quick little outro round. First of all, I want to say thank you to Mr. Glenn Davis. He's one of probably one of the few journalists who focuses in Copa Libertadores. The way that he does it, the way that he's passionate about South American football is just so impressive. And, and, and I actually never heard any American journalists talk about him the way he does. So thank you, Mr. Glenn Davis. Davis. And thank you to our fans for listening to another episode. As you guys know, we're going to surprise you with many more topics, with much more, many more guests who are going to join us. So thank you for listening to the Soccer Subs Podcast. All right. I guess this is a little bit of a different thing from my normal thing about social media. Obviously, follow us on Instagram and subscribe to us on YouTube because we're almost at 5,000 subscribers. 5K. That's right. That's huge. Not 500, not 50, 5,000. Actually, we're, we're currently at 4,840, but that's neither here nor there. Oh, oh, why is that? And why is that? Oh, okay. Well, big thank you to Chris MD. Chris MD, thank you so much, man. I appreciate the love and the support. And to you, Hugh, baby, you won. Yes, I I won something that helped us out a little bit. But if if those of you who are new here, especially because of the publicity we got from Chris, and those of you who are listening for the first time maybe to this episode, definitely make sure to check us out on Instagram. Make sure to follow us there. Make sure to follow us on our Twitter if you want. Make sure to subscribe to us on YouTube. Keep up with the most important and latest news from Soccer Subs. And hopefully, we'll not only have good content for you in coming in the future but we might even have spoiler alert here we might even have some merch coming along the way but we'll see how that goes for you guys so thank you for the love thank you for the support and it's really been good interacting with you guys over the past couple of days my boy marv thank you so much for being on the show it was a real pleasure so much fun having uh having to talk having to have some sucker bodies uh to express the, that feeling that we all have and have within us my boy marv thank you so much for being on the show i definitely hope it's not the last and as for me big shout out to chris md thank you so much to all the new fans that have been supporting us thank you for all the follows and subscribes a huge shout out to uh, pele soccer shop they treated me real well this past week they had 25 dollars jerseys i don't know if those are all gone but big shout out to uh, pele soccer shop shout out to chris md glenn davis thank you so much shout out to our boy fabio cordela by the way he's gonna be the new sporting director of vasco de gama down in brazil with his friend levinciano uh, we look forward to seeing that happen, and we really hope we can do some some stuff with them in the future. And like I said, we got a big guest coming up for you guys for episode 10. Stay tuned. Hit subscribe. Give us a follow. If you guys just want to yell at Christian, send us an email at soccersubspodcast at gmail. And uh, thank you guys for the support. We're out. Have a good one.